Hey there, I'm Andrew Ainsworth, a proud supporter of Sword and Laser, thanks to Patreon.com. It's easy to set up, and what do you get out of it? Endless geeky bantering about the latest sci-fi and fantasy books. So if you want to help out, head over to Patreon.com slash Sword and Laser. Give a little, and get a lot of Veronica mispronouncing things. Welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. We've got an amazing interview coming up in just a second, but I want to remind folks that we're doing our Madness in March tournament because calling it March Madness might be trademark violation. I don't know. Anyway, don't know. Uh, we have brackets set up. Uh, books that you have nominated are going head to head. All the fun is happening in the polls over at Goodreads, or you can find the link at swordandlaser.com to the March Madness section. So go vote for your favorite books. Great competition this year. Very excited. And as we mentioned, we have a wonderful interview guest today. S.A. Chakraborty is a speculative fiction author and history fan living in Queens, New York. Her first book in the Devabad trilogy, The City of Brass, was released in 2017, and its follow-up, The Kingdom of Copper, was just released this January. I've read both of them and found myself completely enthralled, pulled into the world that she created. Shannon, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I know you've spoken about this extensively in other interviews, but I'd love for you to speak a little to your background and how you came to write the first book in the trilogy. So I came to write the first book in the trilogy by not meaning to write a book. (laughs) Um, I had actually wanted to go to graduate school for medieval Islamic history, um, really focusing on sort of the Indian Ocean world and... um, like the southern part, uh, Iraq, the Persian Gulf, um, the Arabian Peninsula. And I did not go to graduate school because the economy crashed and I was kind of just doing anything I could do to keep a roof over my head. And while working as a medical secretary, actually, I started this project and I didn't really have much creative writing background, but I kind of just wanted to play around in the histories that I had read. I was still reading them. I, you know, it was, it was, I was sort of like an amateur at this point. I just liked the books and was always reading new things. So I started creating sort of this magical alternative world that really pulled in on a lot of the histories and places and people um, that I had studied. And I just kept adding to it <laughs> for a few years. And, you know, I would, I had the, the framework of the world world and and the magic and and how the history w- was set and then just would write short stories in it um to the point where even you know my husband started to be like what are you doing on your computer all the time and i showed him and i discussed sort of the outline of a of a larger plot which would become the city of brass and i started writing it and sharing it and <laughs> 10 years after i started it it's now you know on bookshelves <laughs> so that's how it got started so That's was this great. actually was this actually your first book then? Yes, it was the first book That's I ever incredible. wrote. That's incredible. That's incredible. Thank you. <laughs> it was very stressful when I started the second <laughs> one because I was kind of like, wait, can I do this again? <laughs> right. Well, that's always the thing with the with the second book with authors is they pour so much into the first one, and you, and and you didn't even expect it to be the first one. No, no, I did not, and <laughs> I lingered with it. I, you know, I let myself work on it for years, and then book two came along, and it was kind of like, okay, get this done in like eight months. One thing that I found fascinating in the Kirkus review, uh, our interview that you gave, is is the fact that sort of your your magical system uh, in in the book is based on actual 
primary sources, right? Like you, you set up some rules for when you could include something. Yes, not so much for the magic system, but the actual history of Jin. I mean, when I started this, because it was a game as much as it was, you know, any sort of story, and I wanted to see if I could create something that didn't contradict the text and the folklore that already existed. So there are a lot of traditions about, you know, the Prophet Suleiman. He was said to have punished the jinn. He made them build the temple. He had a seal ring that could control them. Then we ha- then we skip ahead, you know, centuries. We have stories like the fishermen and the jinn from the A Thousand and One Nights, where they're sort of just this almost like kind of stupid (laughs) villain that, you know, is trapped up in these lamps and you see them pop up here and there. And, you know, then there's local traditions. Oh, you can, you know, you leave out leftovers. They can recreate um, the food and, and make it a meal. Oh, don't go don't go towards runes, Jin are said to sort of inhabit those places. So I took what existed and then built from that. You know, we have all these human stories of, you know, the Jin as sort of these silent side characters or villains. So I wanted to peel that back and see, okay, how does that look from the other side? What sort of world have they built? How have they reacted to what we say Solomon did to them? You know, I, I, it ends up becoming the major sort of religious tradition in, in my book. So I really wanted to kind of fill in blanks that were there mm. without directly contradicting a lot of uh, what was already existing. You know, one thing I, I forgot to do, and this is being a bad podcast host, I, I, I make the assumption that everybody who is listening has actually read the book. Uh, so can you give us a, a brief description of, of the, the story within the City of Brass? Yes. So the first book picks up and it's about a con woman from 18th century Cairo. Um, and in the tradition of all good fantasy orphans, she is an orphan and she's alone and she has mysterious abilities. Um, and she basically uses them to thieve and scheme her way <laughs> throughout her life. And that, you know, she grows up hearing these folk tales about gin, about magic, about spirits, and doesn't really believe any of it because she can do some strange things. And surely if they existed, she would have met them by now. And of course, she does meet them. Um, One of her (laughs) schemes goes wrong and she calls up a very angry, disgruntled ancient Jin warrior um, who tells her, you know, who he thinks she is and ends up kind of kidnapping, kind of convincing her to go along to Devabad, which is the magical kingdom of Jin, which her ancestors once ruled before being overthrown. Um, Some in the book believe quite uh, justifiably so for how they treated people. And now centuries later, it's being ruled by another family and she is brought back to sort of fill her position. And of course, her position being what it, what, what it is and tension in the city already being what it is, um, it basically kicks off a war. So was Nahri based on anyone in particular from Muslim or Arabic mythology? No, she really wasn't. Um, she's just, she, I had my own expectations for what I wanted Nahri to be. And I really wanted to kind of look at the idea we have in fantasy of the orphan trope. Um, And I wanted to take a character that would survive the life that she did and hold on to that. I think anybody who grew up in the 18th century in a community, a, a place that was heavily revolved around kinship and family and community um, and ethnicity and faith Growing up without any of that, um, with let alone with abilities that would rightfully terrify everyone, mm. I think the person who would survive something like that would probably be scarred and traumatized in a way for their entire life that, you know, once you're brought to the magical kingdom and, oh, you're going to marry a prince and you're given everything you could ever want, you wouldn't lose that. And I really wanted to take 
to those elements of a character, um, to take even the idea of, of all of a sudden being presented with this privileged position and what you do with that and, and kind of explore how she, she would react to that. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the most challenging part for me reading the book was actually keeping track of all the various tribes and factions within Devabad. What did your organizational system or notes look like for writing this book? <laughs> you know, it's funny because like I said, I had already established so much of the world. Mm -hmm. So it's it was almost a little easier for me once I was like, oh, this is the major plot because I had a lot of the players and the groups and even how I thought they would already relate to each other and have had their history with each other. So I just... I. I mean, I write a lot. I'm not a very organized person, unfortunately, when it comes to my world building. So I just have notes and notes and notes that I've typed up and saved. And if I need to check something, I'll go back and look at it. Um, but a lot of it, I just tried to make it work and make sense both in the book and in real life in terms of like how I would think of how certain groups were were allied um, or weren't if, if they were enemies. And it kind of just, you know, when I have to go back to it and check things, it's actually pretty easy. In your Shannonpedia? Yes, my Shannonpedia. It's funny because my husband's always like, you should start a wiki. You should start a wiki. And I'm like, I will never finish the third book if I do that. <laughs> why don't you start one? <laughs> like, Well, that's why you need the fandom to, to create it for you. Maybe yes, that'll exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, we, we talk to a lot of authors who... who you have different writing styles, like you're talking about. Some are very organized and outlining everything, and some some sort of just have it in their head, and they know when where to look up something. Uh, and a lot of of authors that we talk to talk about how characters just start to do things. They start to develop as they're writing them, and they they're following the characters they say as they're writing. Is that the case for you? It is very much so. I'm, I'm unfortunately quite a pantser when it comes to writing. I wish I could be more of an outliner, but I really have to write things out and write those character moments and interactions and dialogue out and then read it to myself and go, ah, that's what the story is doing, um, which is is kind of exciting in a way when you're not on a time crunch, because I do like to write, to you know, have these people who live in my head and write how I think they would react to things. And sometimes how they would react to things or a line or a phrase or something surprises even me. And it ends up changing the tone of a scene of the story. And I, I really like following that along. I'm, I'm a big believer in character-driven stories um, and in plot-driven stories. Stories, and I think you need to follow that sometimes almost ruthlessly so uh, when you're when you're creating fiction. I'll, I'll put you on the spot a little bit and you don't have to answer <laughs> this if nothing comes to mind immediately. But is there anything in the story where that happened, where there was such a big shift because the character just led you down a different path? Hmm. Trying to think of, a, of something without spoiling mm -hmm. it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, that is, that's the hard part <laughs> of all um, of these interviews. You know what? I can say one part. It's because I think a lot of people have read City of Brass, and this isn't too much of a spoiler. But there's at one point in the City of Brass where the river comes to life, basically, mm, mm -hmm. and completely came to me out of the blue. It was just an image that ca that came to me, and like, I mean, I think I was like stereotypically like in the shower, and like you know, rushed out, wrote it down, and then while playing with the, oh, wouldn't that be so cool? I, I had to pause and think how my characters would react like that. Um, and now Nahri grew up along the river um, and she knows how to swim. And she kind of is jokingly teasing this, you know, mighty Jin warrior who she's been traveling with, um, who is, you know, 
the, your stock character of of the the great ancient hero who's afraid of nothing, but he's afraid of water. Um, we we find out he drowned when he was enslaved, and it's this moment where he's been traveling with her, and he's been kind of you know the the adventure adventurous hero who saves her Mm -hmm. and in this moment he's just frozen while she's not she's (laughs) just kind of like hits him across the face and is like we need to leave and it was kind of a nice moment to shift that and I felt like it said a lot about her and a lot about their own interaction in a way um and it just came completely out of the blue yeah and that that, yeah that go ahead Tom I was just gonna say it reminds me of B.A. Baracus from A-Team like being afraid of flying it's that that big tough (laughs) character who's (laughs) who's got a fear that debilitates them. Yeah, I really, I really liked that moment, actually. And Dara, 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 Dara uh, <laughs> is is especially complicated, I think. And I, I don't want to give away too much, especially since I've read also the second book. Yes. But can you give a little more background to, to, to Dara as a character? Dara, Dara, Dara. <laughs> so this is hard to do without spoiling, but I'll try to I'll at least not spoil the second book. Um, with that character, I very much wanted to look at someone who seems on all, on sort of the surface level, I guess, oh, okay, this is our dashing hero. Um, you know, this charismatic, very handsome uh, warrior figure um, who Nahri meets, and she's a little attracted to because she's a young woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's, you know, this mysterious um, man who's who's come and, and, and rescued her and is, is taking her on this grand adventure. And then you get further in the book and further in the book and he finds out, you know, the this brooding warrior, which I think is a trope we like in fantasy as well, has a lot of reasons to be like that and has a history that's quite dark and it might not be something that can be redeemed. And I really wanted to look at the ways in which we sometimes expect female characters to redeem male characters mm. um, and how they even interact with each other. I wanted this to be a story where Nahri doesn't really need any anyone to save her and at the point in the book where she's quite ready to take control of her own life and save herself I wanted to look at the consequences of someone not letting her do that and what that said about their relationship what that said about male characters in general Um, but I really wanted to look at somebody who is not necessarily the hero of a situation and when given the chance um, to sort of do the right thing doesn't always I think that was adeptly non-spoilery and yet a very yeah. good and substantive answer. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. You've done this a few times. Yeah. I've tried. I, I get a lot of Dara is a fan favorite. I think he I think as many people love him as many people despise him. Um, so I've become very adept <laughs> sort of walking the line when discussing him. Uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, your research and how, how it, it, it sort of helped create the book and, and, and bounds the world building. Um, do you have a list of sources on your website if readers wanted to learn more about the history that, that is behind these books? I do. It needs to be updated, but it's already very long. <laughs> so yes, I have, a, I have a list and I can sort of separate it out by primary sources and stories and fiction and, and um, more narrative histories. So it's, it's pretty, pretty thorough if people are interested. Are there are there any off the top of your head that you're like, oh, you should always like check these out? I mean, obviously, uh, there's the ones that everyone knows about, but maybe some that folks haven't heard of. It's it's kind of like, I guess, a little niche, but there's this great book. I think it's put out. No, it's not put out by the Library of Arabic Literature, Um, but it's basically a a guide to partying in ninth century Baghdad. Wow. And yes. And it was it's great. I mean, it's it's a it's 
primary source. It's a translation, but it was put together by a scholar and he was a religious scholar and he otherwise compiled hadith. Um, mm. I won't get into the very long uh, translation of what that is, but basically in Islam, you know, we, we, you gathered together different rulings and sayings and doings of the prophet and his companions. And you, it's, you know, it's, there's a system to it. You say, this person said this to this, to this. And he uses that to talk about anecdotes of crashing parties. <laughs> um, and just, you know, the, it's, it's fun. It's stories of, of this like, you know, noble life and like, you know, you, how you can't throw a guest out and, Oh, I heard this one told this one that, you know, Abu Tufel had, you know, gotten his way in and maybe maybe flirted with somebody and, and then gotten tossed out. And it's just, it's great because it really, I, I, I like a lot of the works that bring to life sort of the social and cultural history of the period, not necessarily just the politics and, and war and, and, and all that, that kind of thing. I like to, like things that you close your eyes and you could kind of imagine how people lived and how they enjoyed their lives and their families and their friends. And this was something that very much fits into that mold. I love, I that, love because, that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because history is often misperceived as dry, boring accounts of names and dates, and th- and that's the kind of thing I want people to know more about. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, like a snapshot into their day to day. I think I that's to, really I check yeah. that one out too. What what is that called? Is that on your reading list? I assume, right? That's on my reading list. But I I think the exact title is just that: a guide to party crashing in Ninth Century Baghdad. <laughs> fantastic. Trust me, when you start to Google, there's only one only one search result. <laughs> So finally today, is there anything you can tell us about where the story is going to take us next? <laughs> Without completely spoiling mm. the second book, um, someplace in the human world, I can Ooh. say. Um, the, the third book goes in a direction um, that I thought was obvious, but I'm getting feedback from the second book. It wasn't, but we will be returning to places and people um, that we once saw a long time ago. Fantastic. And then do you have uh, other series or stories in mind for the future yet? I do. It's it's funny because it was just announced about 20 minutes before I did this podcast. <laughs> um, but my next book series is, we pitched it as um, Sinbad the Sailor meets Ocean's Eleven. Yes, it's about a retired pirate uh, in the medieval Indian Ocean world, um, which was my, my real uh, target when I was studying. And she gets... Pu- pulled back into the game basically when she's offered a chance to right some wrongs and steal a treasure from a ruthless ex-crusader. <laughs> Just oh, when she fun. thought she was out of the game. <laughs> yes. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's very much not the David Bod trilogy, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's fun and it's, it's light and it's very exciting. Well, thank you so much, Shannon, uh, for talking with us today. This has been really fun. Let folks know where you can find, where they can find your work online. So my website is sachakraborty.com, which is just S-A-C-H-A-K-R-A-B-O-R-T-Y.com. Besides that, I am on Twitter at sachakrabooks, um, S-A-C-H-A-K-R-A-B-O-O-K-S. Um, and that's pretty much it, but I'm, I'm fairly active on Twitter and I, I, you know, I maintain my, my website has a lot of fan art and book lists and a lot of stuff like that. So you can find everything there. Yes, and we'll put links to everything on our show notes as well on swordandlaser.com. Uh, thank you so much. And thank you for writing these books. They are, they're really incredible. And especially for it to be your first book, like I didn't know that. I was totally blown away. Um, it's, it's, I've recommended it to a ton oh, of you. people. It's been a lot of fun to read. <laughs> I tell people it's the first book now that I'm like two books out. <laughs> <laughs>
But thank you so much for having me. Of course. And thank you to all uh, all of you out there listening. Our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons. Uh, if you want to help us out, head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books through our links there. You can find links to the books we talk about, like, I don't know, City of Brass and some of our other favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Send us an email at feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 4157sword6. We'll see you next time. Bye. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!